Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversation about the intricacies of thinking very locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. <laughs> and a very global perspective. Uh... Covering bicycling, trains, and transit adventures in Lifex. And today, we have the Cascadia Cruiser Collective, but not Cascadia Courier Collective. I can't believe I said that. Cur- courier, not cruiser. Oh my oh. gosh. But not in the studio today. Um, none of us are in the studio, actually. This is true. We're all in our own studios. <laughs> It's... Yes, um, given the, the state of the world and uh, the pandemic, um, we're all sort of choosing to socially isolate ourselves. Uh, so we are calling in from our prospective homes, and Guthrie is kind enough and talented enough to be able to record all this. Oh, it's, it's the least I could do. Aaron <laughs> is kind enough to call in. Good, good call. We'll, we'll get like... Well, let's touch on it, but let's not... We won't spend the whole app talking, because oh, I'm no. sick of it already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll totally. do a little catch-up here. Um, Ponce will be... Ponce Christie is our guest today, a uh, member of the Cascadia Courier Collective, and will be joining us in just a little bit via the internets, because that's how we're rolling right now. Um, right. How have you been, Aaron? Uh... How are you? How are you? How are you coping? Any anything exciting on the horizon, or just been watching the the paint dry in the new apartment? <laughs> um, so it's really what is it? It's really only day two or three, um, I guess, since uh, things have kind of um, been shut down in Portland. Um, and to be clear, like not everything's totally shut down. Um, there hasn't been any uh, official call for like beer bars and and restaurants to close but a lot of restaurants are going specifically just to uh, take out orders and a lot of bars are making that hard choice and even bike shops are making that hard choice to close down um, and in the meantime I'm going under the assumption that I may be a carrier um, just given Anna's travel up and down the coast recently and just possible contact with somebody. It's just sort of easier to go with that assumption than it is to, you know, assume like, oh, I'm never going to get it. I don't have it. And then suddenly, you know, somebody else is sick, even if I'm not. Yep. Yep. Um, And we talked about that a little bit on the live cast that we had with the Pedal Shift Project earlier this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we should mention that. So we're starting the new thing um, with the pedal shift, uh, some sort of what we're calling uh, sprocket shift happy hours. And we've got one coming up this Friday at 5 o'clock Pacific time. So your local time may vary, but it's uh, free this Friday. And if this is up, <laughs> then uh, I guess pedalshift.net slash happy hour 
uh, for details and there'll be a link posted right up there and we'll post a link on our site too. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this will be kind of a regular, semi-regular thing. Yeah, happening. I think especially during the, um, you know, thing that we're all going through right now, we've, uh, you know, many of us have a little more time on our hands than we were planning. Um, and so in an effort yeah. to not go stir crazy, uh, think of it as your like fireside chat, except we talk about bikes for 40 minutes and uh, invite right. our listeners for both collective audiences to participate in the chat. Um, it's your chance to directly interface with us. Um, we'll be keeping an eye on questions and that sort of stuff. So it's it's like, think of it as a big party that you can't go to in person. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be doing those probably once a week, at least for the foreseeable future here. Um, and this, yeah, next one's coming up on Friday. But uh, as Aaron was saying, keep tuned on our social media channels and yeah. all that jazz. Well, we're not here in in person, uh, but I am having a mighty fine beverage. And, you know, I, th- I don't know if they're open today or not, but when this all blows over, um, you know, instead of going down to the Winchester and having a pint and wait until this all blows over, you know where you can wait till things all blow over in Portland, Aaron? That would be the beer mongers on Southeast Division at 12. That's right. Um, and I was fortunate enough to head there a little bit before this whole thing came in. Um, so I am nice. drinking a buoy uh, Astoria, Oregon, Beer Co. Sheck-style Pilsner. Um, and much thanks to the beer mongers for the continuing support. Uh, I think... One of the things that we especially think about here on the Sprocket is uh, what kind of impact um, our current situation has on smaller businesses that aren't necessarily able to weather huge, huge storms of, you know, whatever, so to speak. Um, So definitely wanted to express sincere and just utmost appreciation to the beer mongers for sticking with the show and for being such a great supporter. Uh, in addition to our listeners, um, they're, they're the only people that we say that is a sponsor <laughs> and it's for a reason because we, uh, we love your ears and we appreciate their being our participants. So if you do get to Portland and you ever get a chance to go down, um, yeah, cannot recommend it enough. Say hi to Sean and yeah. the crew for us. Definitely. And, um, I unfortunately didn't make it there, and I am drinking our our last Lacroix from our refrigerator here in our apartment. Your doctor, your doctor Lacroix, or Mister <laughs> uh, Lacroix. I opened a, I opened a Mister Pib, and it sprayed all over. And uh, we, uh, I put that back in the fridge, but we pulled the Lacroix out to use uh, instead of club soda because we don't have any, and to use as a uh, to take the stain out of the couch and it seems to have worked and so now i'm drinking the rest of it nice well i have been um pretty much at home this week uh just been finding things to do and to occupy time uh realized that my ukulele has been sitting for way <laughs> longer than it does in certain yeah. periods um been like reading a lot i think one of the interesting, well, the interesting thing about finishing my goal of reading all the books that I have is that I was like, oh shit, <laughs> now, I don't, now I don't have a lot of books that I haven't read before. Um, but fortunately, Jane and Keegan have been super nice and have been giving me recommendations and that kind of stuff. Um, so appreciate nice. that. You, you can always read them again. 
This is true. Well, see, here's the deal with my like, bookshelf. I'm like, going to read every book that I that I own. Nice. Again. What? Okay. What are your top three read again books? Read again? Oh, um, Mother Night is is one that I go to a lot, and also actually Galapagos by both by Kurt Vonnegut are ones that I've mm. read many times over. There is now I can't even remember the name. Of it. Oh, The Water Method Man, John Irving, is one that I've read more than a couple times. And I'm trying to think. i got to look at my library now. Oh, wait. I'm on a mobile phone. I can just walk to my library, huh? which, is, <laughs> which that, is just, you know, 10 feet away. Out of boy, Aaron. Finding those silver linings. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chuck Palahniuk's rant. The book is really cool, and I, I like Chuck Palahniuk. Um, I know he's sort of like a, a pop writer. And I'm sure a lot of the, the sort of like high literature people aren't, you know, will frown upon it. But what I really like about that one especially is the style in which it's written. Mm. It's written in as a uh, uh, oral history, so almost as if like uh, somebody is interviewing all these various characters. And so there's several times where like somebody will tell the same story, but it's like from their perspective, you know, so the details are all slightly different. Okay. Nice. I haven't read that one. Yeah. We'll have to. Yeah. Oh, I would say, I would say it's by far his best. He wrote, uh, he wrote fight club, right? Correct. Okay. Sweet. Just wanted to make sure I had that, had that straight club. And then, Choke was another one of his that was made into a movie. It wasn't nearly as successful as Fight Club, but it's a good book. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Sam Rockwell, who starred in that film. But the film itself is eh, mm. not so great. <laughs> yes, it's it's certainly cultural, uh, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. Um, yeah. A couple of books that I am excited to dive back into, if it gets around to it, um, one is Douglas Adams' Last Chance to See, and it's one of his lesser-known books, but I feel like he is just so much himself in it, even more so than Hitchhiker's and Dirk Gently's um, series. And he actually travels with, a, I think, a Nat Geo photographer, and they kind of bop around the world and go... And he he writes for, and then the photographer um, takes photos of some of the last examples of species here on the Earth, and it's wow. it's a really great book so because it's he not writes. Fiction? Uh, it's nonfiction. Oh, yeah, it's a uh, it's like documentary in book form, um, and it's really good. It's it's like it's kind of my. It's yeah, it's my favorite like easy Douglas Adams read, and I I love a lot of his stuff, but it's that kind of book mm-hmm. that it's just like a cozy, like it's a kind of it, you know it's depressing in the way that um he goes and visits the last examples of species, but like it's Douglas Adams, and so he finds a way to just kind of inject his personality and his humor into the whole experience, and I think that's what makes it a really magical book. Huh. I'm gonna have to check that one out. Oh yeah, I cannot recommend it highly enough um yeah i like all his books i i I save that one for the rainy sad days um Ah. another book i'm probably going to reread would be on trails by robert moore um and that's just a fantastic book about 
literally, you know, trails and people and pathways. And it just relates so much to our modern life and uh, just kind of kind of takes that 10,000 foot right down to that microscopic grain of sand view all in about 200 pages. So that's that's a that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, and then another one, uh, maybe I'd say I'm going to reread my Tintin series. Um, not, I don't know how many folks know, but, uh, I am, I am big, big, big into the Tintin. Uh, I should post my Tintin keyboard one of these days, but, um, I have been fortunate enough to be gifted and bought the whole series over the course of, uh, you know, many, many years. And so it was a series that I grew up with as a child and it is certainly like it is dated in the ways that it was written in the 1920s and 1930s but at the same time like first literature from around that time like I think it holds up super super well all things considered so those are nice fun you know like 40 minute reads um and I can just power through a pack of those in a day so yeah those those are my book choices did you watch the movie was that like a, a thing that you were looking forward to or wanting to do or was it like something like ah, i can do without this i was a bit ambivalent about the movie i did end up watching it and then i've actually recently re-watched it and i have to say all things considered it turned out pretty well um it wasn't done the way i would have pictured it to have been done um because i think like my brain exists mostly in the books as they happen as like a single within the series. Um, But I would have Mm -hmm. to give credit to Spielberg in that, um, like if you deep read the series and you are like really into the connections and sort of um, arcs and different, I guess, Easter eggs in sort of a sense that are in the movie, like when I stopped being like, wait, this isn't one of the books. It's most of the books. When I when I got over that, um, I actually really enjoyed it, and I thought it was a good homage to um, Hergé's leg- legacy. Ah, uh, yeah. So if you ever want some Tintin stuff, hit me up if you're in town. Um, <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got a few, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. So that's my my plan to read, play some music, um, work from home. I am super fortunate to be able to do that. Um, our work. Yeah, I won't get too much into it, but um, there's a lot of right. folks who are who are struggling right now. Um, yeah, yeah, and just I guess overall trying to help out where I can and to um be 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 more of a person who's available to to assist and to be positive uh, is is what I'm trying to aim at. Right on. So, yeah. I will say it's worth noting that there are resources out there. A lot of people are coming together and um, setting up networks um, to help share resources if somebody has an extra of, or extras of some things and somebody's without. I've, I've noticed that at least here in Portland and some other cities, like people are coming together. Uh, so I find that pretty encouraging. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so if you're listening and you're like, yeah, what do I do? Uh, how do I help support myself or how? what can I do to help? Um, yeah, just there's networks out there. So get check your local Insta or Twitter. Uh, I'm sure there's somebody out there trying to organize it. Indeed. 
Yeah, we're all in this together. Uh, right on, right on. I guess, I, oh, oh, the biggest, sorry, the biggest update, real quick. Um, yeah. <laughs> Japan, oh, Japan yeah. is not happening, so I will, I will be here yeah. <laughs> for the next, for the next, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, there, there's that. <laughs> yeah, and I know I had mentioned that the last week of April is going down, and I don't think that's going to happen. Not, I mean, I imagine the the sort of social isolation will be mostly lifted by then. I'm hoping, anyways. But regardless, um, just with Anna's work, you know, that being so slow, uh, I don't think it's it's going to be feasible for us either. But yeah, things are just sort of in a holding pattern, to use a a flight vocab. Yeah, definitely. Well, we uh, have had some sunny days here in Portland, so at the very That's least, true. And that, you can still get out and ride your bike. Worth, exactly. It's worth getting out. Um, it took me a minute to get motivated, but it was worth every minute that I was out there. It was really nice. Indeed. All right. Shall we, I guess, try to give uh, Ponce a call? I haven't used Skype in ages. I It's, like, it's funny. For stuff like this, I'll... <laughs> Skype is not my favorite company, so when I I do oh, use yeah. it, but I like uninstall it after each time I use it. <laughs> Although every single one of my Skype calls is now officially podcast related, so that's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> well, that makes things worthwhile, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember the app used to be total hassle to uh, navigate. It's gotten a little bit better. Hey, Ponce, can you hear me? Yes. Now, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Welcome okay, sweet. All right. Hey, hello. Hey, Thank welcome. You. Sweet. Thanks for your patience, by the way. We were just talking off air how uh, confounding Skype manages to be every time we try to yeah. use it. Yeah, I actually I was kind of expecting it to be simple, and it. I don't even know what my Skype name is. Like, I, could, I couldn't find it if you asked me. Oh well, so. it's funny because like I added your I added your email account, and then when okay. I got the request from you, it was from like a completely different account. Um, so like, who knows? But hey, yeah, it's a mystery. We uh, we solved it. We defeated them. So now yes, here we are. We were smarter than the computers. <laughs> now, briefly, if we can only find who this Brian Hughes is. I, I don't know. I I have no idea who that who that person is supposed to be. Yeah. I mean here we are. There we go. How are you? Hey, good. All right. Uh so we've just connected with Ponce Christie. Uh Ponce is joining us from the Cascade Courier Collective and uh is here to talk about cycling with uh cargo and cargo bikes and um delivering different things via bicycle. Ponce, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Nice to be here. And uh, we are in the first episode of our our, our online series, so um, we're we're still figuring this out. Uh, but we hope to hope to bring you some good quality and improving quality audio as uh, we get our system down <laughs> a little bit more here. So uh, thanks to Ponce for your patience with getting this up and running. Absolutely. Um, Ponce, tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of how you got started down this road. Uh, yeah, basically, I I don't know. I had my first jobs as a teenager and didn't really like them. 
um, and then started riding bikes. And then every time, every job that I had became a sort of a competition where I could try and figure out how to ride a bike for it. Um, the first one being a, I worked at a health food store for pets and I convinced the owner to buy a cargo bike instead of a van to do pet food delivery. Um, that idea was, uh, kind of a flop, maybe a little bit ahead of its time. Who knows? Um, after that, I got a job at Hummingbird Wholesale in Eugene, Oregon. It's like a, um, organic and local bulk foods distributor and they do a lot of their in-town, uh, like bulk foods delivery to, uh, stores and stuff by a cargo bike, uh, which was, that was on a, a human powered machines tri hauler, which is a recumbent tricycle, um, that has about an 800 pound carrying capacity, um, plus more with the trailer. Uh, and then after that, I started working with cascading career collective in Eugene, um, did that for a couple of years, I think. And then, uh, basically got tired of being in Eugene. and was ready to move on and moved up to Portland in, 2017, and that's when uh, CCCPDX, uh, the Cascading Career Collective Portland division, <laughs> opened up, and we sort of we had a working partnership with uh, Laughing Planet, so that made the move up here a little bit easier because we weren't quite starting from scratch. Um, and then it's just kind of been a almost three year process of trying to figure out a way to. Uh, make ourselves visible to, you know, restaurants and customers in Portland. Um, it was really surprising that when we came up here, there was no one, there was no local companies doing, uh, like, you know, on-demand food delivery by bike. There were some doing distribution and some doing catering stuff, but nothing for just kind of like, hey, I want a sandwich. Uh, have this person on a bike bring it to me. Um, it was pretty much just the larger app companies that are, um, in my opinion, I don't know. I think the gig economy is pretty horrible. Uh, and as much as I may like kind of participate in it, I am always looking for ways to get away from it. Um, and I think that the, I don't know, the, the shift into it that it seems has been kind of across the board and especially from like venture capital companies and all that. Um, I think it's a pretty negative thing overall and uh, I'd, yeah I'd like to see it go away <laughs> I'd like to beat the uh, I'd like to beat them at their own game mm. right on <laughs> but yeah that's uh, that's how I got here for the work that you were doing down in Eugene um, so you started down there and it sounds like you were sort of developing this uh, passion and this sort of knowledge base around the sort of work itself Um have you noticed, like, what are what are kind of the differences between the Eugene scene and the Portland scene in that regard? Because I know that, um, like, on a on a like personal level, I, I definitely could see some aspects in Eugene just because it's a little bit more tight knit, working out more towards those goals, and I could definitely understand where it it would be like sparse is maybe the word I'm looking for in terms of like the ability to grow those really like deep relationships. Um, in the community level in Portland, but that's, that's just my impression. So I'm curious, like what your experience has been in that regard. Um, yeah, I mean, Eugene's definitely like a smaller town. It's kind of like the, the small, the biggest little city or the smallest, you know, I don't know how to say it, but it is, it is like, yeah, you know, I, 
when I left Eugene, it felt like I knew everyone in Eugene. Um, and so I think that that, and I didn't start Cascadian Career Collective in Eugene. I joined uh, in and helped as kind of a manager for a long time there and then started the company up here, which is separate but similar. Um, but yeah, and I think that having that kind of community connection and also having started it kind of ahead of all of these app companies helped. You know, we were there in Eugene, they were around before, you know, DoorDash or Caviar or pretty, I mean, like I think Delivered Dish was there, but then they got bought. But um, kind of being the only the only fish in the pond certainly helped out. Um, and also having all of these sort of community connections of people that we knew and coming to Portland, obviously, as someone who didn't grow up here and doesn't have, you know, I have some connections, but not in the way that uh, I did in Eugene, for sure. Um, and it's been, it's definitely felt like kind of a ongoing struggle to make ourselves known at all here. Um, because every time someone finds out about us, they're like, oh, yeah, local bike delivery. That makes sense. I would think that's great. Um, and we have a really high percentage of returning customers. So almost everyone who tries this out comes back and does it again and tries a different restaurant. And, you know, they're like, they're the 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 concept works. But the but getting people to, like, break away from that app that's on their phone or the, you know, the advertising or the, you know, weird pricing special that they're going to get from these larger companies. Um, even if they end up paying more in the long run that like they're getting a free delivery or they're getting, you know, $10 off their order or something. Um, this is the kind of things that we can't really compete with. And so we try to compete on service and providing this like quality service, but that doesn't really matter unless people actually try it, you know, cause until you try the service, you can't know that it's better. Mm. Um, I think I got a little bit off track there. No, but, you're uh, great. <laughs> I I don't I didn't feel off track at all. Um, what are what are like so? What's the approach that you folks like to take? Um, what what does that look like? Um, I mean, a lot of it is 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 focusing on the restaurants, um, just because restaurants by and large are so frustrated with having to deal with these app companies for so long. Um, there's been, I mean, it's just like if if something goes wrong on an order, you're gonna you're looking at you know, if you're lucky, like 10, 15 minutes on hold, and then like you know you have to regurgitate an order number to them, and then they have to like contact the customer, and it's just this like whole thing where you're dealing with people who like really could care less, um, and their job is to get you to shut up basically as quickly as possible, um, and so you know restaurants are frustrated, and reaching out to them certainly helps um, because then we can kind of like leverage their each restaurant that we sign as a partner, we leverage their customers into our other restaurants and then our other customers from the other restaurants become hopefully customers of the new restaurant. And it all sort of, it's like a, you know, we all rise together kind of situation. Mm. Um, but I mean, other than that, it's as far as direct marketing stuff, it's kind of hard. I mean, I have like a, uh, I do a underwriting spot on um, X-Ray just cause I want to like support community radio um, right and and we do a little bit of like Google AdWords just because our most of our business is I mean it's all you order online so that seems like the place to to advertise. Um, we do these like little quarter sheet uh, like informational postcards that we try to like 
put in with our orders or kind of get into apartment buildings, um, places that have like a nice population density in the hopes that someone will, you know, pick one up and care uh, a little bit uh, or just be interested to try a different service. Um, And yeah, I mean, advertising is maybe my like weakest uh, point also, like in my personal, the things that I'm good at. Um, I don't fully understand it uh, a lot of the time. And it's just kind of been, you know, I'm flying blind and I'm doing whatever I can uh, kind of as it comes up. But yeah, it's most, I mean, it's mostly I'm competing against these, uh, like, you know, I was looking at like the advertising budgets for, obviously they're nationwide, but you know, they're spending, these apps are spending millions, tens of millions, uh, sometimes like actually hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising. And there's just not a world that I could, you know, come close to touching that. Right. This is, this is more than just like a David and Goliath kind of story. This is, um, I don't know, Goliath and the ant almost. Yeah. And it was, and it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of, it's actually, I don't know that maybe it's better for me though, because it's kind of like, there's like six Goliaths, and they're all fighting each other, and I'm just trying to like <laughs> run around between their feet. You know, right. I'm just trying, and that's right, right. kind of the the way I think about it is too is that we're not really competing. Like I'm not competing with DoorDash because we could be, you know, as we could be three times as busy as I ever imagine us being, and and they DoorDash would still like they wouldn't even necessarily notice us. Uh, right. It, right. It, it wouldn't. Really, there's so much delivery happening, especially in a city like Portland. There's so much delivery happening every single day um, that if we get one percent of it, um, or I mean, less half of a percent of, of it, we can survive very, you know, right comfortably. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. not really like I'm ever trying to like put them out of business. Um, I'm just trying to provide an alternative for people that is, you know lower cost to restaurants and lower cost to the customers that are using the service. Um, and that is a part of the community that we serve instead of being this, like, you know, I don't know. There's kind of like endless metaphor for the evils of corporate, uh, <laughs> structures, but, sure. but yeah, we're just really trying to be kind of part of the community, I guess. Um, and give restaurants an opportunity to, have a service that works for them instead of a service that they're working for. Cause I think there's this kind of revenue trap that these app companies get trapped in and they trap everyone else in where they're doing this huge volume of, you know, you'll have like thousands of dollars in sales, but you're paying this, this app, this delivery service, you know, 30% of your, of the money you're making. So like most restaurants don't have, you know, that big, that big of profit margins. And so then it's like, you feel busy and you're working a lot, but you're not really making, you know, you're not making any money. And none of these app companies are also like, they're not making any money. They're just all like competing to hopefully put each other out of business so that then they can control prices and then make money, you know, it's weird long game. Yeah. In a way, this is like how the rise of Amazon sort of became who they were. There was, there was plenty of online um, sort of catalogs, so to speak, and each store sort of had their own. Um, and Amazon just sort of, I guess, beat everybody at that game. 
it's yeah, interesting absolutely. to me is I never thought of any kind of financial burden on the restaurants, but uh, that makes sense that they would sort of make a subscription model for that service. Oh yeah, I mean every the I mean no, there's not an app company that exists, um, or any. I mean, not, there's not a food delivery company that exists that isn't um, taking a percentage of the restaurant sales. Like that's that's how they all survive. Um, us included, we also are. We we take what we think is a small as a reasonable percentage, um, but it's all this sort of. Uh, uh, I mean, like I wasn't joking. They literally charge thirty percent. That's like that's like the kind of upper uh, end of it. But some are paying, are charging even more than that. If you get into like Easy Cater or some of the ones that do uh, like more specific, larger orders, um, and and there's just not that much profit to be shared you know there's just not that much money and a lot of times that just means that restaurants have to raise their prices above what they would normally be charging um right. to help accommodate this kind of like leech on their on their service well it seems like if you're a restaurant just starting out that would be uh, sort of cost prohibitive yeah absolutely um but there's also kind of this like there's it's like you're stuck into it though because everyone wants delivery and if you're missing out on all of these delivery orders, um, and it's it's more the thing is that it's always more expensive to run your own delivery service. You know, you have to, you can't pay for someone to be um, on call running orders, right? So it is it is like technically a savings, um, but it's kind of like it's like saving two hundred dollars on like an eight hundred dollar purchase that you didn't need. It's like you still are you're still paying six hundred dollars that you didn't need to spend. Six hundred dollars that you may or may not have had in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in regards to like company delivery, one place that I still see that a fair amount is pizza places. Do do you like do you have any inside knowledge or, or theory oh, as to where yes. that would be more profitable than other types of restaurants, yeah. for example? Yeah, and pizza. So that that's actually I was that's a great segue into the next thing that I was going to say is that um, it, there's this because pizza. So pizza is an incredibly profitable, like the profit margins on pizza are enormous. It's like it the cost of creating a pizza is so so far beyond or like below the cost of or like what you sell a pizza for. Um, so at that point, it's kind of like it doesn't matter how much you have to pay to get it out the door because you're profiting. You could sell, you know, you can sell three pizzas for the price of one and still be making enough of a profit that it makes sense. Um, mm. Which is also why everyone in the U.S. at least has this like really weird idea about delivery that you should be getting some sort of a discount for ordering delivery um, because it originated with, you know. Uh, like pizza places and Chinese food restaurants uh, that tend to have a higher profit margin on their food, um, pizza specifically more so. Mm. Um, okay. And so cause for, for like, you know, for any of the like big pizza chains, it, it really doesn't matter what they do. If they get a pizza out the door for any amount of money, they're making money. 
Um, and that's why they have all these, you know, like, you know, buy three medium pizzas for the price of one, or, you know, you get free breadsticks with your order, or free soda or whatever. Um, and they also do, they always do free delivery because their margins are so large that it is worthwhile for them. Um, and as people were like, oh, well, I like pizza delivery, and then they wanted other delivery, other restaurants sort of had to, like, get on board. And because they found out they couldn't afford to have drivers on all the time, then independent courier companies, and then after that, app courier companies kind of came in to fill that need. Um, and then, but, the, like, the consumers still were sort of expecting it to be this pizza model instead of it being mm. an added service that you're paying for. They were expecting to be rewarded for, you know, for getting, for getting it another way. I guess the main reason, the main thing is like pizza places can't, they have like a limited number of place of seats they can fill right in their, in their shop. And they have a limited number of like pizzas you could serve to people who are coming in and sitting down. Mm. Um, and so they needed they they needed a way to to get more pizzas out, and so delivery made sense. Um, whereas with sort of brick and mortar restaurants, um, other than non pizza ones, anyways, um, it's definitely like it's good to be able to serve more customers, but not at that not at the loss that they would have to take to have like drivers on staff. Gotcha. You know? So it's it's uh, it, in other words, it's a pretty like present misconception overall uh it sounds like that's a that's a very good illustration of the differences i hadn't known that before yeah it is i mean it's a thing it's it, it makes sense though i mean because i before i was doing you know food delivery i also i didn't really i, I didn't get it i i've definitely like gotten delivery when i was like a teenager and tipped the guy like a dollar or something um or been like well i'm not going to tip because the delivery fee covers that but most of the time these people are working for you know, basically tips. They're working for tips and they're working for that bit of a delivery fee, but to make that like make sense, especially now that it's um, mostly contract labor um, where you're not actually getting an hourly wage and you're not getting uh, like taxes aren't being taken out. So you're, even if you make like the, a lot of the app companies will advertise, you know, like $22 an hour or whatever, you're losing, you know, basically 30% of that to taxes right away plus expenses on whatever vehicle you're using and all of that. And most of the time you end up losing money. Um, even if you did make $22 an hour originally, um, which is ex- like very rare for, for those companies. Yeah. I, uh, that was always I one friend. of my, one of my big gripes on the, like, um, the ride, not ride share, but, uh, the ride hailing apps. You know, when oh yeah. It's exactly the same here in Portland. Yeah. Yeah, it's the. I mean, that's why. I mean, you have like Uber and Uber Eats. It's the same. There, it's all. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Yeah. So when you're, you know, as a company, you're reaching out to local businesses. Um, it sounds like there is some advantage to being a little bit strategic in how that's done. Uh, are there certain criteria that you look for, or do you look to work with certain types of businesses? first and then expand to other types later um or is that is that sort of a factor for you folks um it it is i think that at this point at first i think when i first came up here i would like try and pursue restaurants at this point i don't 
really all like if I see a new restaurant that looks interesting or I go and eat somewhere and I like it, I'll give them my information. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll explain what's going on. I'll kind of gauge interest. Um, but really I just want to work with restaurants that want to work with me. That's like the only, the only thing that I'm looking for is someone who's interested in doing this thing. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I used to kind of try and like convince people and I just don't have time for that anymore. Um, I just, I just like, don't, it's not, it's just not worth it, you know? Um, so that's my, my number one criteria is just that you are excited about, you know, doing bicycle food delivery and doing it with a local company and kind of embracing the challenges that come with that, but also like reaping the rewards of that. So for the cycling portion of it, um, what sort of factors are in consideration? I'd imagine that over the course of the years, you've had a lot of chances to observe and interact and sort of refine that process. Um, Have you some words of wisdom on that front? Uh, For just for like biking or for, sorry, I guess the the bike or the, the more mechanical dependent component of it. Oh yeah. Um, 26 inch tires, 26 inch wheels are your friend. Uh, (laughs) Fat tires are great. I, I don't think I would ride anything. Uh, well, I guess my my smallest tired bike has like a I think it's a thirty two right now, and I wouldn't go under that. But I'm happier on like one point seven and up. Um, uh, you got to have fenders. Uh, <laughs> and just I, I mean I don't I can't. Like I, I literally cannot count the number of times that I have avoided being hit by drivers who, to this day, have no idea that they came anywhere near hitting a cyclist. Um, oh yeah. And I mean, it's 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 almost every single day that I've been doing this for, and I've been doing this for almost ten years, and it's. It's 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 just it's just constant, and the only the only thing that has stopped it is that I'm paying attention. It's the only the only thing. Right. Um, so I think above anything else is just paying attention, being aware, getting. If you get a weird feeling about a car, you know, because sometimes you, I just see a car and I'm like, you're about to turn right, and I know you're not going to use your blinker not going to use your turn signal and I'll slow down and I'll go out, I'll cut, yeah. a, you know, into the lane and go around them. And then all of a sudden they just like right hook out of nowhere. Um, so it's just trusting your instincts and kind of like gauging that. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I also like ride pretty aggressively and uh, I think would definitely be considered kind of a bad example of a responsible cyclist sometimes. <laughs> I'm being honest. Well, yes, yes <laughs> and no. So, so I'm I'm going to confess something to you, and it's it's going to sound like uh, just just bear with me. I guess just hear me out. Oh, it's for like, sure. Um, I drive for a living. I drive school bus, um, and so I'm on the road a lot. And I totally agree with everything you're saying about sometimes you just get a feeling that you're like, oh, this guy's going to like try to cut me off or this person's about to make a turn that's either illegal or unsafe. And you mentioned like 
maybe not being the best example of a responsible cyclist, but the rule, the same rules don't always apply, I guess, is what I'm getting to. Cause I, you know, uh, oh, I, I 100% agree with you there. Um, and so there was one time I'm, I'm riding my bike or no, sorry, I'm driving my bus. You're riding your bike. And I noticed you popped up onto the sidewalk kind of was up against traffic for a second. And my instinct as a person who's on in a bus was like, Oh, that was a bad move. But then <laughs> almost, almost immediately after, like I see this car pulling right into the green zone. I was like, Oh, I see why you did that now. Um, yeah. Cause there are times where it's, I think safer to do on a bike. It's safer to kind of, do something that would otherwise be considered irresponsible or illegal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree, and I kind of keep that in mind whenever I'm riding, is just sort of like, ideally, I'm going to, you know, play nice and do the, th- like, you know, be in the bike lane or use, you know, do do all the things that I try to do, you know, to be, because I don't want to, I mean, my, my my kind of, like, general rule is I don't want to make anyone else have to react to me. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to do the reacting and not, I don't want to make anyone slam their brakes or accelerate or, you know, do any do anything, right. really. Ideally, I'm just this, like, invisible thing that, <laughs> that moves yeah, through. Like the, and the <laughs> and sometimes I... Like, uh, defensive driving. Yeah, and sometimes I, I definitely... Um, it's like you can't, I mean, obviously, and I know, I know that like some of the people that almost hit me, it's not their fault or like that, that they're dealing with things also. And I, it's, you know, everyone is, um, on their own, on their own journey. Uh, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> uh, that's a very and, diplomatic way of putting that. Uh, but I, yeah, I know I, I kind of, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting place for me because I definitely, I, I think that, I, I guess if I really am just being honest, I think that bicycles should have m- more freedom. I think that they should be treated as vehicles when it is convenient, and they should be treated as pedestrians when it is convenient because they are not either. Um, and they, you can do a lot. I mean, you can you're you're sort of like hamstringing them if you say a bike is a you know a bike is a car it's like well but it's not and yeah. i'm going to do a lot of stuff that i wouldn't do in a car because it's not danger it's not i'm not harming anyone and i'm not putting anyone in danger to do it this way um and right. i'm also right. not gonna you know slowly ride on a sidewalk all the time which some people seem to think is the rule <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what yeah or, or in law it's not supposed to do. yeah <laughs> um but yeah it's it's an interesting Point, and I know that I am biased, and I know that people um, will would disagree with me. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, I do. I, I think that there's uh, like that we all should be responsible um, for ours and other people's safety, and not endangering other people. Um, and I think that sometimes when I'm biking, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, this is dangerous to me, um, but it's, it's an acceptable risk, and I'm. I'm going to take it because it is the, it's the best route. It's the best uh, not route. It's the best option that I see of my choices. It's the easiest uh, and like least, the least likely 
to cause harm to anyone, but possibly me. Um, and yeah, I don't know if that's always the best way to think about things, but it, uh, it's kind of, yeah, it's definitely what goes on in my brain. Right on. For the uh, size of the company, is it just you that is working it right now, or are there folks who are also taking part? Yeah, we have uh, a lot of um, great uh, couriers up here, actually, that are working with us. Uh, I don't know if you heard that. That's the uh, Polar Orange Vanilla Seltzer that I just cracked open. <laughs> uh, pretty delight, nice. delightful. It's uh, a cream skull in a can. Um, sponsored by Polar. Uh, just kidding. Um, anyways, yeah, we have uh, we have a really good group of uh, of riders up here. Um, and it's always kind of, you know, there's like seasonal and a lot of people for a lot of the, uh, them, it's, we're like a second job that is something they can do, um, when they're not getting shifts or what, you know, whatever, uh, kind of to fill in the gaps. Um, there's myself and one other person who are, this is our only thing that we do. Um, and yeah, it's a, we've got, I think there's. I don't know, about 10 of us up here now um, doing doing the work. And it's kind of a like a constant struggle between trying to get busier so that we can get more people involved and then kind of like, because like, I mean, I work seven days a week, uh, usually <laughs> about 11 hours a day. Um, and so it's... Kind of, it's like for me, it's just it's like a constant trying to get busy enough that I can get other people on board and being paid enough money to like make it worth their time, um, and being too busy myself to do the the things that are that are required for that to happen, like reaching out to restaurants and setting them up, and because I do all of it, you know, I build the website and I make the menus and I do the outreach and I write the invoices and I write send the invoices and write the checks and it's just kind of you know it's all it's all happening um in my head <laughs> i guess <laughs> what kind of um service area or so what what's the coverage look like is it based off of i'm guessing sort of the restaurants that you have partnerships with uh yeah i mean we sort of, yeah we definitely use the uh the restaurants that we work with to help define the area that we serve um it's kind of all based on what we what we can do reasonably. You know, our our guarantee for service is an hour from when you order the food. Um, obviously, that's assuming that the restaurant isn't like super backed up or anything. There are certainly cases where it's you know the kitchen is just slammed and there's no way they can get it out um, soon enough. But you know, that's what we. I guess I should say that's our what we're shooting for is that you order the food and it's if you get it in less than an hour, um, we you know, 97% of the time are getting it to you in less than half an hour. Um, it's like a... So basically our service area is set up so that we can do that. Um, sort of designed to maximize how much work each person can do. Um, and same with like the different the way that we have zones set up. Um, but basically, so our service area now is kind of uh, downtown Portland... Um, using the highway as kind of the bottom edge in the south. 
Um, so we're not into like the new south waterfront yet, but we are hitting, um, can't even think, like River Place, um, I think is the name of the street that's down there. Um, mm, okay. Anyways, and then we kind of like hug the bottom of the hills uh, in the southwest and sort of West Portland because we don't want to, like obviously we don't want to be going too far up the hills because that is going to add uh, time and complexity. Um, and then we get into, in, like, still on the west side, up into the kind of industrial stuff and, like, Front Avenue and all that. Um, and then we go up, I think, north we're going out to, I think we're out to all the way out to Ainsworth now. Um, oh, that Yeah, so we go all the way out to Ainsworth um, and then across going east out to about 30th. And that goes I th- pretty much straight down. I think that I still have kind of a. Uh, I just didn't want to deal with Alameda, and I'm pretty sure that I drew our zone around it. So, nice. So yeah, sorry to anyone who lives in Alameda. You can't have delivery um, because your streets suck, and I hate it. It's, it's a dumb hill that comes out of nowhere. There's just like no reason for yeah. it. Uh, but I think that's, I mean, that's the same okay. reason. For a long time, I didn't. We didn't deliver to Lad's Edition just because it's like annoying. It's not. It's like mm. no. It's not difficult. It's not like far or anything. It just like was. It's just you get you can get lost in there, and it just makes it harder to uh, maintain the oh yeah the the fast delivery time that we're shooting for. Uh, but now Lad's Edition is is included, uh, and we'll just deal with that as we have to. Um, and then yeah, and then our in the south. East, I think the lower, I think it's just like we go just past division. Um, like before, I think Clinton is probably the actual, actual cutoff. Um, so it's a pretty large zone, and we have, you know, we have riders out there um, all the time. Uh, and, and that's one of the other things that we do that is kind of is different than like the other the app sort of food delivery companies is that all of them are they all 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 of them overstaff because they don't trust their writers and they don't trust their restaurants and they don't have they don't let the people who are working figure out routes and things they just sort of give they have you know they're like okay we think we need 10 people to do this to do the work tonight so we're gonna you know have we're going to try and get like at least 20 people clocked on so that they all make almost no money. And um, then they get, hopefully they get pretty fast delivery times. um, I mean, in theory, not in practice. And, but none of the people are doing more than one or two deliveries every hour, um, which is incredibly inefficient and not how you make money because it's all based on volume. Um, and so we try to staff sort of like mindfully of that so that we're trying to see, you know, hopefully our writers are able to do, you know, eight deliveries or more in an hour and then actually be making money, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. since that's hope- the hopeful the hopeful goal of this is that at some point people will be making a living wage riding a bike, you know, and my personal, like my personal goal, if the, the writers want it, uh, is to eventually be a employee company so that people are all of our writers would be employees making a you know hourly wage plus getting all of their tips and all of that but it's something that is kind of a long way off and 
it's dependent on a lot of a lot of other things working just because the the way the industry for delivery is now there's just no way that we could be competitive uh in any way with that whereas what we can do now is offer you know better pricing um and paying our people better because we don't have the overhead that these apps have right um so we're able to be you know survive on a lot less money and sort of because we do have to participate in this system that I think is pretty unjust um, to everyone, the workers and the like society that it's in, since it you know it essentially avoids well, it avoids, but it changes the way that taxes are done, which is sort of how like you know the last hundred plus years of labor laws in this country have all been based on employees, and then people just decided to like say, eh, what if we don't have employees? We'll just, we'll just be contractors. <laughs> we'll just make <laughs> they don't, them all contractors. Then we don't have to give yeah. them rights. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I think it's pretty unjust, and so to sort of ease, to I guess rationalize it to myself um, is to just sort of have the the goal of the company be to be a, like, it's self-sustaining, but really what it's doing is passing money from the customers to our riders. So they're getting as much as possible of the money that comes in goes to them because they're the ones doing the work and the company just keeps enough to like continue so that we can, you know, continue buying the things that we need to buy to, to add more restaurants and to grow, you know, at a responsible rate. And then hopefully we'll hit some sort of, there's, you know, there's like a, a volume where suddenly it's, we'll be making, enough money that I can say, Hey, we can, would you all like to be like switched over to an employee model and sort of figure out if that's something that people are interested in. People kind of may or may not be, I know that there have been, there's other courier companies in the past that have sort of presented that as an option to their, uh, to their couriers and people were just kind of not interested um, because there is a lot of like, there's a lot of freedom and, advantages that come to be with being an uh, independent contractor. Um, but I still, I don't know. I think that it's, I'd, I'd you know, I'd, I'd rather participate in, a, you know, the, the society <laughs> if it's, uh, mm-hmm. if it's possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Those are, those are certainly things to think about. I've done, I've been on like both sides of that fence and it is interesting. You know, there's, there's definitely some pros and cons to each. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not it's not like a cut and dry thing. I think that the the way that these like big companies have done it is in my opinion pretty cut and dry that it's bad um, because <laughs> they're it's it, it's so obvious because of how hard they've fought to avoid classifying their contractors as employees. You can see I mean that's kind of enough evidence right there for how much money they're making because they're not participating in uh the in, you know in the, in the the rules that have been set up to govern businesses um right but i think that they're obviously like obviously the idea of a contractor is it totally it makes sense in hundreds and hundreds of situations um i just think maybe not in this particular one yeah definitely so sort of in in i guess a, a wrap up um 
if anyone was looking to get involved uh, either as somebody ordering from or perhaps inquiring about uh, working with or learning more, uh, what would be a good way to get in touch? Um, yeah, I mean, our website is a great resource. Uh, it has our like delivery zone map is on there. Um, we try and keep it updated as possible with all of our restaurants. Um, we've been adding some really, really great ones recently. Um, and I sort of, I know in the whole situation that's happening with things switching over to, you know, carry out and delivery only, um, we're going to be adding even more as people kind of reach out to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, through our website, through the restaurants that we work with website, pretty much with, with almost all of them, if you go to their website and you order online to get a delivery, it's going to be us who are delivering it to you. Um, we try to function as much as possible as like an in-house delivery service. So it should be pretty seamless from a customer's point of view. Um, we also have like, there's a, there's a form on our website for people to contact if they're interested in either partnering or working with us, um, doing deliveries, um, as a, as a career. Um, we are doing, we are exclusively a bicycle delivery service. Um, we definitely get a lot of uh, people reaching out to about doing you know, car deliveries, and it's, uh, it's just not something that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, our website is uh, pdxccc.com. Um, it turns out there are a lot of CCC businesses in Portland. Uh, <laughs> and some, totally. some, someone else had CCC PDX, which is what I wanted. Um, it's a contracting company. I think it's doing really well and I'm happy for them. So, um, some, (laughs) some contracting done, hit up, uh, CCC PDX, but if you need some food delivered, you're going to want to go to PDX CCC.com. Uh, you can also go to, we also, it also, you can redirect, uh, like Portland food delivery, PDX food delivery, or CCC PDX.co all will direct to us. Cascading career collective. Uh, and we'll bring you food. That's, yeah, pretty Sweet much how it goes. Awesome. <laughs> well, Ponce, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, talk with us about the work that you do. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Sure enough. I hope to see you around town. Yeah, absolutely. You as well. All right. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. And now for, I, I don't know if we should go there or not. I don't know. Don't, don't ever oh, use that. <laughs> what do you know? It's our calendar. Um, <laughs> hey, all right. I, I am reading I our calendar because uh, Brock, Brock put a note in here. Brock says, note, we are posting the events uh, read on this recording, but many events have been canceled or postponed due to emerging public health concerns. Verify before attending, make safe decisions, and best wishes until we can plan things again. Um, so I'm just going to read sure them enough. all off real quick, if that's cool with you, Aaron. Sure. Uh, okay. and, and then we'll make our way over to our headlines. Um, so, good. All right, here we go. March 21st is the Fernway Good Co. 
group hike version two with Ashley Lance. I would definitely check with her Facebook group on that one. Uh, May 9th is the Mohawk Valley Metric Century. June 13th, the Hophead 100. July 11th, the Lads 500. Notice July. Uh, August 15th is the Swift Summit 200-100. August 16th is the Swift Summit Northwest Hill Climb. And the second Thursday of every month, uh, conditionally, is the Joyful Riders Club. First Friday of every month, the San Francisco Bike Party. Second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also, the second Friday of every month is the Indianapolis Bike Party. Also, also the second Friday of every month is the East Bay Bike Party. The third Friday of every month is the San Jose Bike Party. And the last Friday of every month is the Baltimore Bike Party. The first Saturday of every month is the Civil Unrest Ride right here in PDX, Oregon. And every second Sunday of every month right here in PDX is the Corvidae Bike Club Ride. The last the last Sunday of every month is the Vintage and Classic Ride in Huntsville, Alabama. And upcoming film by bike dates, I did check this before assembling the show notes this evening. So to our knowledge, um, this is what's going on. We have Bend, Oregon is scheduled for April 16th, Montrose, Colorado, April 16th as well, Kelowna, BC, April 30th, the 18th annual uh, film by bike in Portland, Oregon is still on for May 14th through 17th. Uh, Aileen and the crew just sent out an email saying, hey, hold tight, we aren't canceling, uh, but we are evaluating it every day. Um, so rest assured, uh, I, I would count it on um, until you hear otherwise. And and rest assured, they're working very closely with the Hollywood Theater to ensure that they are making the safest and most uh, responsible decision when we get a little bit closer to the actual go-by date there. Um, Rogers, Alaska is going to be June 4th. Salt Lake City, Utah is TBD. Crested Butte, Colorado is June 25th. Alvdal, Norway, September 4th. Sacramento, California, rescheduled to October 23rd. And Boise, Idaho is now on the ticket for January 23rd. Right on. So we have one headline in the news today. Uh, ODOT just sent out a notification, our Oregon Department of Transportation, um, talking about reopening and extending the public comment period or, or the next public comment period for the Rose Quarter Freeway expansion. Uh, the note says during its April 2nd meeting, the OTC will receive updates on the I-5 Rose Quarter Improvement Project and provide information to ODOT regarding the, infor- regarding the project's environmental review, um, which I'm not sure is their way of saying they are not doing an impact environmental impact statement, which was my understanding uh, last time we spoke with Aaron Brown. Um, Due to the changes in timing and format of the OTC meeting and to ensure access for everyone who would like to provide public testimony on the Rose Quarter Improvement Project uh, or other agenda items, ODOT is opening a two-week public comment period beginning Monday, March 16th, which is today. 
Um, and continuing through the 5 p.m. Uh, Pacific Daily Time on Friday, March 27th. Um, and there are some notes about a virtual meeting as well. Um, but yes, if you have a comment to give on the Rose Quarter Freeway expansion, um, their comment period is now longer. Yeah. You're taking a lot of responsibility in owning and riding a bicycle. You are now an operator of a wheeled vehicle. Oh, yeah. A two-wheeled vehicle. Yes. We have a voicemail from George. Let me cue that up real quick. All right. Hey, sorry, guys. This is George. I missed a bunch of stuff. I got to reset this message. So this is George from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, George. I work at Trader Joe's. Uh, Nice to uh, finally call in. Aaron and Guthrie, love your podcast. Used to live in 49th and Hawthorne. Um, Basically, uh, it's just been absolute madness over here. Uh, We received our largest load ever by a huge margin and sold down within a day. I came into work to buy some coffee for the uh, end of the evening, and shelves are completely empty. People are on their cell phones, calling family members. Uh, Everybody seems very worried, which is in sharp contrast to this sort of situation I've been seeing uh, at my coffee shop or, you know, just around town or on the trail. People seem fairly calm. They're concerned for sure. Um, there's a lot of talk about elderly and their family, but the attitude uh, at the Trader Joe's, which is sort of this destination in Albuquerque, all the Californians come, a lot of people from New York come, <laughs> and uh, they are just buying, they were buying cases and cases of toilet paper, um, 10 pizzas at a time. Uh, there's elderly that can't make it into the parking lot because there's not enough room to even drive through it. Uh, today was the first oh. day it slowed down a bit. I think most people are staying home. But it's just, uh, it's, it's really interesting to see it from, um, you know, a social services point of view. I feel like, I mean, we're not cops, we're not police officers, we're, we're not EMTs, but we are definitely going to have to work Regardless of the situation, people need food, and most people seem appreciative, um, but it's definitely an attitude of stress that seems to be magnified relative to being outside and talking to people that aren't really involved with grocery. Uh, well, nice leaving a voicemail. Hope uh, everything's going all right there. I'm really eager to hear uh, what your guys' uh, point of view is and really what's happening in Portland and what they're doing to mitigate the effects or the spread of the coronavirus, COVID-19. I know we have drive-through testing now, which is helpful. Um, But, you know, uh, just stay safe, stay healthy. And if you guys ever come through Albuquerque, DM me on Instagram and uh, I'll, uh, you know, we'll we'll have a bed for you. All right, later. Right on. Thanks, George. Thank you, George. All right. Yeah. Someone, uh, sort of, uh, at, at grocery ground zero <laughs> in their perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he had a really good post on Instagram, uh, a series of sort of, uh, a narrative of what was going on, um, in grocery stores. And, uh, so I had asked him to leave us a voicemail, uh, 
with his perspective. It was very interesting. Uh, in the Instagram, he had mentioned how uh, people were just kind of like leaving with boxes and boxes of stuff. And then also in contrast that they get restocked almost on a daily basis. So the, the question of, of scarcity and the question of, of is this going to be, be there? Like to him, it, it was just absurd. Mm-hmm. You know, this, the stuff will still be back here, uh, later tomorrow or, or the next day, if it's not there tomorrow either, you know, um, and it is something I don't want to downplay the seriousness of what is going on. Uh, but I, I would encourage, um, people to just kind of be calm, um, do what you can do, help each other out, but just don't panic. You know, the, the toilet paper will be there. And the reason why it's not there is because somebody else panicked. So encourage your friends to stay calm. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, that's just definitely been something I've been thinking about. And I was like, I guess the way I, my brain broke it down was there's kind of like these three ish waves to something like this going on. And it's almost as if one wave at each point in its, uh, crashing on the shore of, of, you know, what we're going through pulls the next wave in. Uh, so you've got your folks who are doing like the panic run and getting like, I don't know, well, it, you get your you get your like scalpers, and I'd call your like disaster <laughs> yeah. opportunists. Um, which fortunately, yeah. I'm very happy to see has like toned down. Um, like, say what you we say what we will about Amazon, but I'm personally very happy that they've like really put the kibosh on a lot of that stuff. Um, so the first the first wave is the folks either like very freaked out or looking to take advantage of the situation. And then you have your second wave, which is the wave that sees all the social media and is like, oh, crap. Like, if now, well, dang, you know, if I don't go, then, <laughs> you know, I kind of yeah. have to. If I don't get out now, went. I'm already too late. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> and then I, ha- you have your, like, third wave, um, which I, like, feel, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm, like, completely in the category of, but I feel more in the category of, which is just, like, uh, like not panicking so that you can, like, be that person that isn't panicking, I guess, if you will. Uh, you know, like yeah. we speaking, you know, if we're going to talk TP and stuff, um, we were down to like three roles in the house, but like not too worried about it because just as uh, George was saying, you know, like those stores do get restocked. And uh, we're fortunate in the sense that we have a lot of non traditional hours that we work. So if it's making a trip to the store, um, a good example would be like Winco here in town, which is open 24 hours a day. Like I would go there at two in the morning. Like that's perfect, right? Because I'm kind of a night owl in the first place. Um, but, but mainly just trying to, to, yeah, to not be that, that first or second, but be the like, okay, like that, that, that desire, that fight or flight response has been either, you know, satisfied or the adrenaline has run off and people have, you know, enough toilet paper to last for the next six years. I'd rather come in and be like, okay, cool. Let me just pick up one. And then, you know, the next time I'm down to like two or three, then I'll go pick up another. Um, 
you know, right. where, that, where that falls apart is if something goes on long enough that it is, uh, you know, like a, a two-month issue instead of a three-week issue or something like that. But I don't see it being at that point yet. And so I don't feel that there's a need to over-prepare. Um, and then I guess technically I should say there's Wave Zero, uh, where a lot of friends I know um, have actually been more in the prepping mentality. I think like anybody that talks about earthquake concern in regards to Portland, Oregon knows well that um you know like i've i've already got my supplies like this has been a thing that was present before covid came through uh, you know it's just like we just have stuff on hand uh so pantries yeah especially and i mean like caveat this is this is for folks that are able to do that and there's certainly many many who are not um so this isn't to say like this isn't like shame on anybody that hasn't but there's definitely those those folks that are that far ahead of the plate um that they already have the stock so they're not like super worried in the first place yeah um i think maybe i fit somewhere in that third wave but also um i'm all for a a sort of i don't know what you'd call it kind of relaxed prepping Mm -hmm. you have have what you could survive on for a little while you don't have to have like a big store of things you know, this is something that I've often said when it comes to earthquake prepping. Um, have what you can live on for a little while. There's no way you can you can predict any or every outcome. I mean, who would have predicted that we're in the state that we're in right now? Um, but in the meantime, I feel fortunate enough that we can we can last for a little while. We did go to the grocery store. Uh, Friday evening, I believe it was. Oof, but, how was that? <laughs> um, surprisingly, all the produce, a lot of the produce was gone. Mm. There was exactly one one fresh tomato in the entire store. <laughs> and I didn't even want a tomato, but I took it anyway. <laughs> so we had, a, we had a tomato in our salad last night. Um, but it was, it was a little maddening, honestly. I didn't feel like the the panic that a lot of people had. We were also maybe a little bit later to the game. Uh, I will say the line to check out was, I would say, where people were most stressed out, uh, where I felt the most anxiety also. Um but again, like we weren't there necessarily like, oh, we got to stock up before everything's out. We were already planning on going to the grocery store to begin with, you know. Uh, and we seemed to have gotten what we needed and we made a few sacrifices and we were like, well, you know, let's just, we're out. We'll come back to it later. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, It seems like that, that supply mechanism is... Yeah, it's it's in place until things get like precipitously uh, different. I sure. hesitate to use the word worse, but I'll, I'll go with different for right now. Um, yeah, yeah, the so that level of hysteria is is not necessary. Um, I think what's kind of most like frustrating right now, and like I don't mean to, I guess we haven't really made the episode about this, but um, just to touch on it for a second. <laughs> no. Um, well, you, we can't deny what's going on. <laughs> sure, I, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it, it, don't look at the the COVID behind the curtain. It's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's happening. It's freaking happening. 
Oh, it's happening. Um, I think, I think on my part, like I have not been worried or like frustrated about it happening as much as I've been frustrated that, um, we don't really know if, you know, you don't know if you're a carrier or not. And so like my natural inclination in a lot of this would be like, well, I'm pretty able-bodied. Like I have the ability to help, but I don't know if it's safe to help. And that I think is right. the biggest thing that's been kind of like eating at me. Sure. Sure. Um, I was reading somewhere about a uh, volunteering for childcare and like so far children actually seem to be the uh, um, least vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think to, to date, nobody under 10 has died from from this so that's great uh but also i was thinking like okay so it's something that i'm capable of doing but going under the assumption that i am that i probably probably have been exposed and am a carrier is it something that i should be doing yeah yeah well and we just don't know you know there's no yeah it's in general i think you know I, I get a fair bit of it from outdoor leadership and taking like kids out into the woods. You know, it, if you don't know, it's better to play it safe is, is what right. I, my experience has been. Right. So yeah. Kudos, um, kudos to caution, yeah. if you will. Right on. Well, shall we move on to some mail? Yeah, let's move on. Uh, we had our voicemail from George. George, once again, thank you so much for calling. You are always welcome to and, and ring and share thoughts. I love, like, it was actually great. Do you see, George nailed our three-minute voicemail, like, on the dot. I was very impressed. <laughs> yep. uh, so, yeah, okay. we have a comment from Jay Lico. Uh, he says, hi again, guys. I'm supposed to tour the Gap, Great Allegheny Passage, in the fall, and am considering my rain gear options. Typically, this would mean rain jacket, pants, and shoe covers. While I was homesick and surfing last week, I came across this post uh and it's a link to bromptoning.com yeah and it is the a hood. yeah the rain hoods uh, rain capes clever hood people s poncho yep. um and he says made me wonder if a rain cape is a viable option for fall bicycle touring on a trail like the gap do any of you including your guests have experience with them if so what features and brands do you recommend thanks again for your consideration right on um the cleverhood was huge with a lot of people um, who like rain capes. And I will say that with that caveat. If you like rain capes, you will probably love the cleverhood. Um, from what little experience I have, I personally don't. Um, I'm not a rain cape person. I lean way too far forward for a rain cape to work for me. Um, that said, though, I don't know what the gap, uh, what the Great Allegheny Passage is like. If there's any kind of like, if it's like a mountain bike kind of passage, if mm. it's something like that, I don't know if the rain cape would work for you. If it's mostly upright, you know, uh, easy. Uh, what am I trying to say, like paved or, or hard pack, you could probably do it with a rain cape. And I know the people who love rain capes love rain capes. And there's a lot of advantages to it in 
that it's just a cape and you can wear your regular clothes and you still stay dry and mostly warm. Um, and it, it also shields you from a lot of the wind as well. Uh, so that's my take on that. Yeah, I'm looking at photos for The Gap um, and it is described on their website as... The friendliest long distance rail trail. So it looks like it's a rails to trails. Um, and based off mm. of the photos, it looks like a lot, you know, I, of course there will be wind, um, but it looks pretty well sheltered. So I would imagine you're primarily, you know, you're you're protecting against rain coming from mostly above you, but probably a, a bit of a drip factor as well, depending on what parts of the passage you're on. It, it strikes me as a little bit similar to some of the woodier sections of the Banks Renonia Trail. However, in most parts, it looks like the gap is uh, uh, maybe three or four feet wider on average. I know. Cool. So yeah, maybe if if you know somebody with a rain cape, try it out. See if the, it's for you, and if if you like your rain cape, you're gonna love that clever head. Mm-hmm. And another thing too, uh, like a lot of tour companies and such, they have those like thirty cent ponchos. Um, so if you wanted to just kind of like get your feet wet, uh, you have a really affordable way to get into that. And if you're like, nope, not for me, then you're not out the bank. Um, and you can, you know, if, if you don't tear them up too much, they make great, uh, water collection or just kind of like backup rainwear, um, super light and easy to pack with you too. Uh, if you ever need, um, my, I'm definitely a rain pants person myself. And over the years I have come to really appreciate uh mont bell's rain pants so if you are looking for like a light option i just love it because it it like almost disappears when it's in your pack um it's incredibly lightweight i think they just switched over to gore-tex fabric uh but i you know if you ever go on those like ultralight uh you know, ultralight camping rainwear comparison, blah, 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 <laughs> websites or whatever. Like, I'm really surprised. I think it's just because they're a Japanese brand. Uh, so they don't get as, like, much rep or exposure in the U.S. But typically they come in at least four to five ounces and oftentimes twice as light as the next closest competitor from some of the larger brands you'll see in the U.S. So I love it because it works and it's gone when I don't need it. And as soon as I need it, it's there for me. Um and so the last pair I had lasted about three years, and they're exceptionally well-priced. So if you're looking for um, a really good pair of rain pants, you can kick around for about 100 bucks. Uh, the Mont Bells have proven to be uh, worth it for me over the test of time. Uh, this is also from Jay Lico. He says, hi, guys. Just finished listening to 504, and I think there was some confusion over my question about a saddle height insert. First, thanks for addressing my question to you both. Aaron, I think you confused saddle height insert with the telescopic seat post. And yes, I have. Uh, the saddle height insert is a plastic sleeve that fits into the seat tube and limits the length of the seat post that can be deployed. And I have never heard of this before. This is very interesting. Uh, I've attached Bronson's destruction sheet with that which illustrates this. Hopefully it'll clarify what I meant. And turns out you recommend exactly what we've been doing with the Clever Cycles trick, and we learned it from this video, which is incidentally a Clever Cycles video. However, we haven't considered engraving the seat post and or lightly sanding the post. That's completely unique. Thank you, Jeffrey. 
Apologies for the confusion. Thanks, as always, for your consideration, Jay. Um, awesome. Well, I've never heard of that uh, product, so I would be very interested in seeing that because I often will fiddle with my saddle height on my Brompton. I just sort of take that as that's just the nature of the beast. Mm. But if it's one less thing to fiddle with, why not? Yeah, totally. Thanks, Jay, for writing in. Appreciate the clarification. Yeah. Well, we have reached the end of yet another episode and the first of our mm-hmm. our socially distanced but not distanced from <laughs> you, hopefully, episodes. Uh, because you're always kind of far from us when you're listening, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, <laughs> no huge changes there. Uh, once again, thank you all for your ears in uh, especially the days and weeks ahead. Uh, do know that we think of you often and uh, appreciate your presence and tuning into the show. Hopefully it's something that is able to um, take our minds off and, and take us somewhere we didn't expect to end up over the next couple of weeks here. Right on. All right. Shall we do it? Let's do this. Okie dokie. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at X-Ray Studios thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Kurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss. Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's a time traveler. Dave Knows. Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley. Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom. Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna. I'm already home. Oh. Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, that's me, Aaron Green, oh. author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Regranary. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Michael Flournoy. Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman. Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell. Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom. Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Offenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron. Chris Barron. Chris Barron. Chris, Chris Barron. Sean Baird. Simon Gregory Braithwaite. Simon Gregory Braithwaite. I stole your line. <laughs> Ryan Morrow. That's all right. We'll switch. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks. Kakaw! Marshall, Paula at Funataki Cyclecraft. Philip M. Spartandale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left. Bike Initiative Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D, go dig a hole. Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, also. Isaac M, David C, our newest donor, 503, and all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now brush your teeth. And take care of yourselves, please, and take care of each other, and go to bed. 
Taking pictures of the man from God Open cassocks clean Burn a bean, a holy fellow A low, but a gleam, but a gleam What of all those wayward priests The ones who like to drink Do you suppose they suck the blood for wine Like you swap yours for ink, for ink so many letters And all of them seem true Promises look good on paper Especially from you, from you Wait of all those willing words I carried all alone You wouldn't put your pen to bed We hadn't found our own, our own Your sentences rose high at night Circled round my head Circles since been broken Like the priest before me is breaking bread I'm being asked to drink the blood of Christ Soon I'll eat his flesh I'm alone again before the altar Shedding all my old regrets The last of which I'll tell you now As it flies down the sink Never knew a part of you didn't set in ink, in ink Letters that you left behind No longer shall I read Your blood's between the pages now And I can't stand to see you bleed You'll soon forget what was never there Your words are ash and dust All that's left is the song I've sung The breath I've taken and the one I must if you're born with the love of the road and the writ Oh, people that let us your warning stands clear Pay heed to your heart and not to your wit Don't say in a letter what you can in my ear